0: Thanks for listening to part two of episode six with Angie the Diva. In the previous episode, we talked about Angie being a comedian with kids, what it's like to be a mother, and make jokes about that. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you listen to it, if you haven't, feel free to go back or you can continue listening. That's all right. Part two coming up now. We're going to talk about comedy, sex, and sexuality. Enjoy. So how has that, what made you decide to make that part of your act? And then how has that affected, you know, kind of like personal relationships, things like that? Because again, that offstage persona, onstage persona. Does that affect that? Because people expect one thing that you've described on stage and then...
1: My my stage persona, first of all, my on-stage persona is not that far removed from my real-life persona. It's not. Um, I do... I, I definitely do not tell my children I hate them to their face. That would be bad. Obvi. <laughs> um... No, my kids know I love them, and and I do not at all let my kids listen to my comedy at all. <laughs> I probably, do not want to scar them for life. It. But what about when they're older and they maybe when they're older that it will happen, older. and we'll you know what they'll be adults, and we'll be having a conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. about why you should wait to have kids for a while <laughs> because you, you guys a, you caused this. You um, yeah, I mean they will eventually hear it, um, but I hope that my kids know and understand that I love them and and it's just jokes yeah, yeah. uh my and my son actually I think he might be a comedian one day his his comedic timing is ridiculous, he understands sarcasm, he he has since a very very young age, so uh he's a prankster and and he he's hilarious, I could totally see him well,
0: doing it. I think the that- the ultimate will be when he starts to do jokes about his mom.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and then Full you're,
0: you're going to be like, oh, my Full circle. God. I
1: forgot what the question
0: was. Uh, so, well, the question was about sex. Oh, okay. So you described yourself as a pansexual and non-monogamous. And recently we had a conversation at a show a while ago and you, you described yourself to me as queer. And I feel like the way you said it, I thought you maybe were like recently came out as queer. Or is that something that's always been the case?
1: So, um, on stage and offstage, not that different. Uh, of course, my onstage persona is a bit more dramatic, um, and a bit more embellished than my my day to day persona. But they're really not that different. Um, so a lot of the sex stories actually are true. And they see, this are, is
0: why people believe
1: the yeah. stories. <laughs> they are um they're they are slightly embellished as well, uh but they're all rooted in truth so um that happens and and as a comedian, I do a lot of things. I put myself in a lot of situations for the story, so that's that's kind of a casualty of dating me.
0: <laughs> Does that make you vulnerable off stage because I saw another comedian who he also talks a lot about sex on stage. And then she posted something where there was somebody who heard her on stage got a bit too familiar, a bit too handsy. Because I think he thought he could do that because of what the way she'd spoken on stage. Have you ever had that happen to you?
1: My onstage stage persona gets me laid a lot. I'm not sad about that.
0: Um, being a female, you have... <clears throat>
1: As a woman, you're in a position generally of unfortunately being subject to the patriarchy. Period. We have an existence where still men can do and say things that are inappropriate in isolation. But because I've said something on stage or because I've warned something, they somehow in their mind can justify treating me like less than a human. That happens, period. What I do with that is up to me. Now, I could get angry with them. And sometimes I do. What would be an example? Uh, black girl fetish. As as a black girl in Asia, I am a unicorn. There are not a lot of us around, and I encounter a lot of guys who are, "Oh my God, I've never slept with a black girl before." That really happened. I kind of like
0: see that happens. See, read this thing stuff on the internet, and I'm, they really say that. They really do. They really and do. And that's like a pickup line? Like, they expect you, you to then be
1: like, oh, okay, I'll be that girl then? I have no idea what they expect. <laughs> that has never been my reaction. Um, so, so I deal with that. Uh, the, the, the worst it's ever been, though, uh, a guy, clearly with a black girl fetish, he was saying things. And I was like, you know what, guy? You don't need to say that. It's really weird. Um, it's kind of off-putting. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you're ignorant. Maybe you've never experienced Black people before. Whatever, whatever. Uh, Let's not. And then he goes on, and his next comment is, I'm really into history, and I wonder if your family were house or field Negroes. What? Like, where do we go from there? How did you expect this conversation to end? So that is something that. How did you react to that? It was on Tinder. I just blocked him, and oh, I it wasn't in actually. Person. Actually, I, I screenshotted it and I put it on the the female expat page. Right. Um. To warn other people. To warn other people yeah, yeah. that this was going on, and uh, and actually kind of hoping that somebody might have known him. Yeah. Get feedback um, to him. Yeah. yeah. But. It's it's something that you have to deal with. And and when I get on stage and I say things, I know that it's not going to agree with everyone. I'm okay with that. I don't need everyone to like me. But as a person, as a human, as a woman, as Angie, you will respect me. And when I get off of stage, you can say whatever you want to, but you need to be prepared for whatever I'm going to say in response. If you are a gross and skeevy guy and you want to say some gross and skeevy thing to me when I get off of stage, if I'm in a mood, it may not end well for you. But that is, that's my own power. And it has nothing to do with my onstage or off stage persona or my onstage persona. It has everything to do with my offstage persona. I am strong and I'm powerful and I do not have to take your crap. I don't have to listen to you talk to me anyway, and that has nothing. That part of it, the, the the grossness of humans, sometimes has nothing to do with what I say on stage. It has nothing to do with what I wear or, you know, where I'm from or anything. It has to do with a lack of education and complete ignorance. Unfortunately, still, in the vast majority of cultures around the world that men in a lot of places think that women are just objects for their pleasure and you can say and do whatever you want with them and it's not okay. And on the other hand, if I I am a highly sexual being and I'm not a whore because I want to entertain some of the, some of the guys or whatever, I don't have to be your wife and we don't have to be in a relationship for me to get my rocks off. And you can go home after thank you very much
0: So I'm a bit old fashioned I can't keep up with all these terms. What does pansexual mean
1: so i um I am a female biologically. I identify as female um, I am attracted to people. It does not matter if you identify as male or female or or cisgendered or non-binary or if you are a drag queen or you're trans or however you identify, I can still be attracted to you. Um, And I don't care about what label or box you want to be in.
0: Right. And this is, I feel like at 37 now, I feel there's a generational line being drawn. I feel like because I just grew up in like a different era to currently.
1: I'm going to be 36. So it's, I don't think it's, it's so much the generational line. I think it is evolving definitions.
0: But um, I didn't grow up with all of these. I didn't either. Well, no, I know. So you didn't either be in the same age. And so now that these things are a thing, I feel almost like when my grandparents would have been younger, like being homophobic would have been completely normal. And then at some point, we realized that that's not okay, and it changed. And I feel like I'm on that line now. Not that I'm phobic to any of these people, but I, didn't, we, I grew up in a binary world. Yeah. And now suddenly it's like, wait, okay, there's non-binary, and then there's pansexual, and this and that. I mean, even then it was like homosexual, and then bisexual, and then now it's this yeah. whole spectrum. And so that just makes me feel old, but I, like, I need to evolve with that and start to understand that more.
1: It is a point of understanding um the the pansexual thing actually as as an identity is new for me. Um I did generally identify as bisexual for uh my whole adult life. Um I think I realized actually realized that I I liked women first. Um and then as I grew older and you know hit puberty and everything I was like okay well it's more normal to like men, which I don't dislike. They're fine. <laughs> um, um, but like going through college, I, I identified as bisexual. But I didn't like the fetishization of that. Um, when, when I, I did it because most people know what bisexual means. And it stopped the question. Right, you say you're bisexual, and they're like, oh, "Okay." As a female, I can say that, and it's like, "Oh, okay." As a male, being bisexual, that's a whole different thing. Um, but as I grew, and as I allowed myself to be more open, I found that I was attracted to other people, and and because I came in contact with these people, and then you start to think, "Well, what does that mean? What does that make me?" Am Am I bisexual if this person doesn't identify as a binary individual? What, what is that then? Like, am I gay? Am I straight? And where, where, where is it going? Um, so a friend of mine, uh, she identified as pansexual and she, you know, told me about it. And then I did some research on my own. And I was like, okay, that's, that's a new word, but, but I can use that as well. And it is gaining traction and I do, um, part of my, my, I guess, like evolving mission is to draw more awareness to um, the spectrum of queer. So a lot of people in, in our generation and older do think of people as just gay or straight. There isn't really any in between. And then Bisexual is like, oh, okay, but you're confused, right? Like you just, or you or you're greedy. You just want all the stuff. Um, so I think it's really important for me to be out and um visible because I do represent a demographic that is not often represented in the queer community or in not in the queer community, but in the media as far as what queer is. Um, it's not represented very often. What, what is the definition
0: of queer? See, I'm even, this is, a few old-fashioned because I don't even, like, fully really understand.
1: Um, I think, in my opinion, and, and queer is, like, that term that sort of floats around. Um, in my opinion, queer is the sort of umbrella term for, er, for all of the alphabet letter people. Right? We have the LGBTQ. And what's the I? I, what's that? I don't I know. You don't know? <laughs> yeah, I
0: feel so stupid asking these questions, but like I saw it come up, I think today or yesterday. Uh, there was another uh, L-B-T. Yeah. The AI, I think. Was there an AI? LGBTQ, the I, the Z, not in there. W, And then there's a plus at X, y, Z.
1: Why is there a plus at the end? I have no idea. Yeah. Um, but, but queer sort of encompasses right. all of those people. So it's sort of the, the like umbrella term for that. Um and it's also a term that um that you can say that you are without specifically identifying where on that spectrum right. you are. And so it leaves a bit of wiggle room for people who are evolving mm. and you and you you're not comfortable saying, I am this right now, or a lot of people that I know within the community have evolved. They mm. have changed. They were into this at one point and now they're into something else. And so it. It allows you that flexibility to say, I'm a, I'm a human who's evolving and changing and exploring who I am. Um, and I really feel sad for straight people because, like, they oftentimes don't allow themselves the flexibility to to explore those things. I mean, pleasure is something that's like a drug to me. Often, um, you do get that sort of euphoric feeling about things about about that experience and I can't imagine not allowing myself to experience so many things just because I've sort of caged myself into a box of this is this is who I am.
0: Well I was talking to a friend recently we were having lunch and uh he shared that he was queer and I didn't know that. And it's funny because like so it's a spectrum, right? And we accept that I am straight. And I'm on that the far end of that spectrum. Mm-hmm. And it feels weird, though, to say that. Like, to be like, it almost feels like I'm the strange person now. Because I'm like, I'm, that, I'm on that end. Mm. And I'm not saying that's good, bad, indifferent, whatever. It's just weird to be like, I'm on an extreme end of that. You know, when there's a whole spectrum.
1: I kind of think of it as like, um, when kids, uh, when you're trying to introduce new vegetables to kids. And they see the broccoli and they're like, I don't like broccoli. And it's like, but you've never tried broccoli. How do you know you don't like broccoli? Like, I don't like it because it's green. And it's like, like, I get it. So you're like, trying, you're, you're, like you're like a dude and you're like, I don't like dicks.
0: I need to try some eggplant. Now. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I do like eggplant, <laughs> but the vegetable. <laughs> That's going to get cut. Okay, we'll keep, we'll keep that in. Um, it's just, it's, I, I feel like, yeah, 37, this whole generation is changing. The world's changing. None of this existed when we were... Growing up, yeah, it was. I mean, even well, interesting, right? Talking about queer was a derogatory word, right? And now that's, I guess, being reclaimed, which is right. great. That you know, people.
1: It's it's just all, it's all about growth. It's all. I mean, whether whether you identify as queer or straight or gay or straight or you know whatever label, um, I think all people need to allow themselves the the room to grow. What you're into right now you're not going to be into in 10 years from now. Even, even in a, a straight, monogamous relationship, you have to evolve as a couple. You have to evolve as, as individual people in order for you to stay happy and together. I mean, I think the statistic on it, uh, on a generally uh, a career, is about 10 years. Uh, about, about seven to 10 years, which is the same for marriage. About seven to 10 years, you start to feel like I need to grow and change something. I don't like this. This is uncomfortable. Something needs to happen differently. And, you know, really strong and, and great couples, they learn how to have their individuality and also um, uh, develop together. Uh, but people who stop doing that, that's where you where you find divorce. It's like, you know... I expect you to be this person that we were when we married 10 years ago. And like, who is the same as they were 10 years ago? Like, who does that? Like, 10 years ago I was 26. I had a newborn and a two-year-old. And I was the lady walking around the grocery store with the vomit on her shirt. And now I'm You're Angie living, the Diva. I'm Angie the Diva. I'm living in Saigon. I'm going to all of these fabulous events and I'm getting paid to stand up on stage and say crazy stuff. (laughs) Like, not at all the same person. And to expect people to stay the same is wrong, in my opinion. It's wrong. And it just shows your lack of willingness to grow yourself, um, to accommodate those changes. So... It's not, I'm not saying like as a queer person and on the queer agenda that I want everybody to be queer. That's not a thing. But I think that you should uh, be, be open to exploring new things and different things, and that you and your partner should be strong enough to explore those things together, whatever they may be for you. Everybody has their boundaries, and I'm not saying that you need to put eggplants where eggplants shouldn't be for you. That's fine. But um, I do think that to think that your way of being is the standard for everyone else, that's, that's asinine.
0: And then why non-monogamous? You would never be in a monogamous relationship again? I will never. Wow.
1: I will never. Um, and to be fair, when I was married, it wasn't exactly monogamous either. Um, it's just never been my thing. I'm not a jealous person. Um, I don't like to be like tied down and caged in. I don't wanna be as much as I love attention, I like attention from lots of people. I don't want it from one singular person who thinks that I need to be there like everything. Um like you know, not jokingly, uh you have to be happy with yourself. You have to be content with yourself. Um, you have to have your own goals and ambitions and know what you want to do in life for yourself. And then when you meet someone who compliments that, then that's a really nice, and loving, and reciprocal relationship. Um, but you're still both free to grow uh, in your own way. And I think. Me personally, I find it very difficult to get everything that I need, um, conversationally, emotionally, physically, um, you know, and any of those L-Y words. I find it very hard to get that from one person. And I think that it is wrong. I think that it's unfair to ask of all of that from one person. Um, I guess, I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is like, you know how you have two best friends, you can have two best friends, or you can have three kids or four kids or five kids, you can uh, work two different jobs, and you can apply your attention to those equally, but in different ways. You can do the same in relationship. And if that's for you,
0: yeah, I was gonna say because I think there'd be people who don't believe that, but as long as the two people are together and don't believe that, right, then that's fine, right, right.
1: right. Um, everybody has different needs. Mm. Everybody has different needs, and my my needs are not the same as somebody who's in a, a very consensual and happy monogamous relationship. It's just not my thing. Mm. Um, and like more power to you. I think I think you and Adri are the cutest couple I've ever seen in my life. Like. You guys are so cute and you you clearly want to spend your time together and you're very supportive and like you know she 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 gives you crap and and you give it back and like it's so cute um and like why not but that's just not my deal. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. I, I like to sleep in my bed by myself sometimes. <laughs> and, and I like I to taste the rainbow <laughs> of, of things.
0: Well, just quickly, because we have talked about it a lot, so we don't need to go into too much detail. But on previous episodes, we've talked about the XYZ community. For you, how is that in Saigon? Because I think that's been quite surprising to me and, and maybe some of our listeners. And, that it is a really good community
1: here, right? Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I am a part of a beautiful community Um, with people on the whole entire spectrum of the whole alphabet people. Um, you call yourselves that, the alphabet people? I, I call them that. <laughs> I coined that phrase. I'm trademarking it. Sure. Alphabet people. It just—it just sounds less offensive than LGBTQI. It's a bit easier. It's such a mouth. Like yeah, just, your mouth has to move people.
0: so much for LGBTQ.
1: I don't know if I can put that on a t-shirt and trademark and yeah. stuff, so, but I'm—I'm I'm coining it the Alphabet People. Um, I, the community in Saigon is beautiful. It's very inclusive. Um, people on the whole entire spectrum come together and do things together. ICS is a fantastic uh community outreach program organization. Uh they do a lot with the, the Vietnamese community as far as like education and um providing opportunities for people to come together in safe spaces. Uh gender funk has been integral in my experience here. Uh gender funk started about the same time that I got started with Saigon Funny People. So the founder of that, Ricardo, Ricardo and I are are pretty close. Um, we have. He's similar... going to be on
0: this season. Oh yes! Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to work out a ah! Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, uh, Ricardo, Ricardo is an amazing human who has done so much for the queer community in Saigon, creating inclusive spaces that are just not that are not just for queer people, but also draw in straight people, which. Helps to dispel a lot of those um, stereotypes and and phobias about what queer people are, who queer people are.
0: Because I, I want to go, I want to go to Gender Funk, but um, I feel like so, well, am I going to be the awkward straight person there? No. Like, I mean I'm not any phobic, but I still feel like I'm going to be like just this. fucking... Well, not at I feel all. like I'm just gonna be this like awkward person. Like I don't know what to do, what to look like. I've not I've been at a gay bar before and things like that, but I think again this is going back. I'm a bit older, and so it was a gay bar. It wasn't an LGBTQ event, so it's just like another step, well, you know, like. I feel like I'm going to be super awkward when I go.
1: First of all, no one's going to try to fuck you there. No, not, so that.
0: not that. Do you know what I did? I looked up the Genderfunk Facebook page to see what people were wearing because I was like, do I need to like wait, do I need to dress flamboyantly? Mm-hmm. And then luckily I saw just people dressed normally. I was like, okay, yeah. I can just go dressed normally. Yeah. I thought like, I yeah. had to get dressed up for it, you know? Because I know obviously some people do. So uh, I will be there. I do want to go soon. But uh, yeah, yeah. when Gender- you see me awkwardly standing there, come talk to me.
1: I will. I will come and talk to you. <laughs> funk is doing something I think is very innovative in that, um, I don't know, innovative, but inclusive, uh, radically inclusive, maybe. Because they make events that are fun, period. It doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. They are fun. And the performances are polished and, um, of high quality, um, and they, the performers, in fact, are very inclusive. Um, so they are, are, are drag queens, which are men who identify as men in, in most of their life, but dress like women sometimes, um, trans women who are people who were born "Quote unquote biologically male, but identify as female." Uh, bio queens, which are women who are biological women and identify as female, but dress up as drag queens because drag is an art form, right? It's um, it's the makeup, it's the hair, it's the drama, it's the you know the performance and all of that. So um, and and. Gender front has also had straight male drag, which are men who are biological men and only sleep with women and dress up as female in drag. So the performers are inclusive and on a spectrum. Um the, the audience is on a full spectrum. Um, but the the, the thing that is the most fantastic about gender funk parties and events is their tagline, you do you. So no matter where you are on the spectrum, no matter what you're into, no matter what your kinks or your fetishes or you know, how you identify or whatever, this is a safe space for you to express yourself how you want to. If you want to dress up, fine, do it. If you don't, also okay. If you if you want
0: to be an awkward straight white guy, you can be an awkward. <laughs> that would be me.
1: You can't. Um, but it's it's uh consensual completely. Um, it's very respectful. No one is going to force you to do something that you don't want to do. Um and it's just fun. Yeah. It's so much fun.
0: I think it's one of the amazing things about Saigon, and I think mostly through the podcast I've learned that it's something that most people wouldn't expect right you think of vietnam in whatever way the war for most people if they're out with the country they think about they think about um they think about it being a poor country they don't think about it being particularly probably like the most lgbtq friendly community in it. and here in saigon definitely it is so it's a testament to saigon right
1: yeah Saigon. Saigon, to in my mind, Saigon is like in this time warp of space and time. Like, um, for me, it has been a like a a mixture of people and places and um, events and opportunities that are just growing, like just bubbling at the surface, and they have the potential to be amazing. And to be on the ground level of that and see. People grow over the last two years, and to see their potential of where they can be, and and the city, the city on a whole is like that. Like uh, the construction is just like every time I leave here, I come back and I'm just like, where is this whole neighborhood come from? What is going on right now? Um, the whole city is like that. It's just growing, and there's so much potential, and there's so much passion within individuals. To do something and make something and thankfully the the country itself is not very restrictive on allowing you to do that Saigon is a very special place in that if you have the ambition and the willpower to do whatever it is that you want to do you can do it here So we're going to finish up now at
0: this point with the same questions that I ask everybody. So the first question is, what bike do you drive and how do you deal with the Saigon traffic?
1: I drive a Honda something or other. I have no idea what it is. I am that person who has rented a bike for three years. What? Yes. throwing money away. I don't know that it's throwing money away. I think about it as my insurance policy because I've changed my bike probably four times. Um, whenever I get a flat tire or the oil needs to be changed or anything needs to happen with the bike I don't have to deal with it at all Um, and that is the convenience that I pay for how
0: easy it is to do that stuff
1: I'm fine, I'm okay with it it's a million Uh, a month right? I feel like it is a million a month I feel like it's stimulating the economy in some way (laughs) also I really like that every time I go see my bike guy he's standing out there with a smile and his shirt off and he looks really cute it's fine (laughs) I'm here for it.
0: All right. Well,
1: um, it's my, traffic
0: it's my Scottishness coming through, but I'm like, you know, you can't spend money like that.
1: I am a-okay with paying for the convenience of living in Vietnam. I love it. Like, it's a perk for me. When I go into people's apartments and they don't have a maid, I'm just like, what are you doing? You're wasting your time in Saigon. Like, it, is, it is one of the best parts about living here. Um, So I do I do pay for that convenience and Saigon traffic. I deal with it with my headphones on and I drive through traffic singing loudly and waving to the people (laughs) near me. And sometimes I get really frustrated with uh, the fact that Saigon traffic does not work like anywhere else on the planet. And recently I've been yelling at people in traffic. (laughs) I've just been like, wait, your turn. Traffic right now because no one wants to wait their turn. Everybody can't go all at the same time. If you just observe the red light just a little, we can all get there in a timely fashion. You are saving three seconds sometimes by shooting ahead of traffic, but most often you are wasting 10 minutes of my life causing this traffic jam because you just wouldn't wait your freaking turn.
0: There was a guy yesterday that like dangerously undertook us, sped by us. I was like, whoa, he was pulling in 10 meters ahead. Uh, Why did you need to do that? You could have just waited.
1: Yeah, I have this theory that Asians are not bad drivers, but that their system is so unlike any Western country. We don't understand it. To be fair, I very rarely see an, an accident in Saigon like a bad one.
0: incredible I don 't know how rarely. it's not carnage on every corner
1: yeah Oh, they're
0: it's, fantastic drivers it's just it's insane it's chaos I've heard that India is the only country that's crazier than vietnam i've not been but that's.
1: I learned to drive in Bali, which was also chaos um, but the guy who I rented my first bike from told me maybe the most profound thing I've ever heard. He said, it's like a school of fish. Stay in the middle of the school and you'll be fine. (laughs)
0: That's good advice. I like that one. And what is the oddest thing you've seen on a bike?
1: I've seen some pretty crazy stuff on a bike. Like really crazy stuff. Maybe um, the guys who carry like the, the popcorn and bags of chips and things and they stack them up so high, and like it's it's really like a, a like an eighteen wheeler truck length wide, and they just zip through traffic with all of that stuff on their bike. It's amazing. And it to must me. weigh
0: like nothing because it's all air, right? But it's
1: it's so like like just the visual of it is ridiculous. Like how do you have all these things stacked on? I mean, besides like the six person family on one motorbike. Six person family on one motorbike is is that's astounding standard. to me. That's like, standard. Right? It's just like wow. Um, I also like the guys who carry the fish because I think that's really heavy. Actually, with the water and everything in the bags, and and they carry you know all these goldfish and every and it's it's stacked so high. The most dangerous thing I think I've seen, and maybe this is just my American sensibilities. Are The guys who carry around the propane tanks, like dragging these, them behind their bikes, it's
0: Adri's worst nightmare. Yeah, she's terrified when she sees them. It yeah. could
1: blow up at any moment. I think it has
0: happened. Yeah, I think it happened a couple of years ago. Someone drew, drove into the back of one and it went, Oh up. my god. Yeah, if we see one of them and we're on the bike together, Adri's like, Go around him, pass him, pass him. Yeah, so you got 24 hours. No kids, no comedy, no event planning, no nothing. What do you do with 24 hours in Saigon?
1: First, I pinch myself because it does not happen. It's a dream. Uh, I would sleep probably half of the time, like solid 12 sleep with the aid of Xanax. And then I would get up, and I like to find green spaces in Saigon. Um, There's a really nice park. Which I cannot remember the name of it. In District Ten, there's a it's three Binqua. Bin Qua, um, it's like on uh, uh the river, and it's it's like nice trees and green, and it's quiet. Um, I think they have like buffet dinners or something there, but during the day, it's just a lovely place to walk around and get outside of the city. It's maybe 20 minutes outside of D2, so it's not really that far of a drive. Um, I do that. And uh, because I'm in the like in the nightlife so often, I probably would avoid that situation. I would go to dinner by myself with no one that I knew in a in a restaurant that no one knows me. No one's asking to like talk to me or take pictures. Um, I would have a glass or two of wine but not be drunk because that's fun sometimes, and i would uh I'd probably have sex because you know it's a day off why not um i would I would be very boring i think i would be I would do something very very boring with twenty four hours off in Saigon because my my general day to day life is pretty exciting I think um, it 's so different than what most people are doing. I'm out all the time. I'm always going to new venues and bars and clubs and restaurants and things. And I have to meet people all the time. I always have to be on. Um, I'm very rarely out in Saigon without a face of makeup and, you know, a look. So, yeah, I probably try to be really inconspicuous and boring.
0: I know. But now you have a week off to explore Vietnam. Where would you go in Vietnam?
1: Hanoi. I've never been to Hanoi. Wait, what? I've never been to Hanoi. In the three years that I've been in Saigon, in Vietnam, I have never been to Hanoi. I've been to Phu Quoc. I've been to Da Nang and Hoi An. And I've just, i just to Central. But I have not been to Hanoi. So I would go to Hanoi as long as the week was not during this time of year when it's cold and rainy um, because I do not deal with cold at all, at all. Anything below uh, 70 degrees Fahrenheit, I don't even know what that is in Celsius. I know it's still hot for most people. I cannot deal with cold at all. I am allergic to cold. If I get cold, I get hives. I get itchy. I get welts and red, and it's very, very uncomfortable for me. I've read recently that I could actually go into anaphylactic shock. I'm actually literally allergic wow. to cold. So
0: you never go to Scotland then? I'd never. No. Never. And would you go up to like Hazang and Sapa and things like that? Or are you going to spend yeah, a week in Hanoi?
1: Definitely. No, I would, I would want to do Sapa and um, uh, where's the place with the big like island? Oh, uh, Halong, Halong Bay. Bay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd want to do the whole North Park because I haven't done it yet.
0: Yeah, you should do that. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I feel like you're probably maybe the best person to answer this question. Do you have a hidden gem in Saigon that you can share?
1: I have tons of hidden gems (laughs) in Saigon. Because
0: then if you share them all, they're not hidden. It is
1: my thing. I will share one with you, and then um, I will tell you where you can find more of them. Um, My, probably my favorite place in Saigon, and this may be due to my lifestyle is opera tea club it's on li tu chung um kind of near heart of darkness and it is a nap cafe so it's open 24 hours 7 days a week they have comfortable like lounge chairs they have tons of pillows everywhere and they have a stack of pillows by the door if you need some extra ones there are some booths um the lights are always really low the music is kind of like lullaby you can go there and work um i used to when i was a freelance writer i would go there overnight and i would write and then when i get tired i'd take a little nap and then i'd wake up and write a little bit more and take a nap um, and the, the coffee and teas and things, they do pots of tea. So, um, I'd have a ginger tea waiting for me when I woke up and, uh, they only charge you 25000 I believe, if you just go there and take a nap and you can sleep there for four hours. Never heard of this place. <laughs> yes. There you Opera go. Opera Tea Club. It is one of my favorite places. Um, so if you are a partier like I am. Sometimes you get tired and you just need a nap, like, real quick. I go there, I have a little nap, and then I get back to my party. Fine.
0: <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. So that's, that's the end of the questions. And so what's next for you? What's happening?
1: So I run Saigon Funny People, which is a comedy group in Saigon. We have open mic every single Monday for anything that you want to do. You can come out and, and uh, express yourself um we'll give you some time there we also have two shows a month at Bon bar um on don Koi, and that's an all-female show and then a raw comedy show where you can hear me talk crazy stuff about my kids and judge me um <laughs> and um and then i'm an event planner so we have a lot of parties and things around but you can just follow saigon funny people on instagram or facebook to keep up to date with all of that stuff One project that I am very excited about that we've got starting up is Asia Out Loud, which is going to be our new social media channel. Um, It's with myself and J.K. Hobson, which is another comedian. You guys should go listen to his episode um, on 7 Million Bikes because it was cool, too. Um, And then a photographer, Merv Lee. And we're trying to showcase really cool and interesting spots. Secret locations, interesting people, and the stories behind the things that they do in Saigon um, and in Asia on a whole. So if you're wondering, like, where can I go to find, you know, cool stuff to do or where can I go and find, uh, like, yummy food to eat? And where is a place that I can spend my money uh, responsibly with a cause and check out Asia Out Loud? Look out for that, please. Awesome. And
0: what um, what's your plans for your career in terms of comedy, event planning? Where do you see yourself going with that?
1: Um, I don't, I think I will always have a home in Saigon. I love this city so much. I don't see myself leaving uh, permanently like ever. Uh, but I travel a lot for comedy right now. And that's the goal. I've got uh, an African tour coming up. And uh, I'm going to be in Australia next year as well. So I definitely want to see where that goes. Um, I want to continue to build the scene up here in Saigon. I'm really committed to offering stage time for up-and-comers and and underground people. Um, I'm really excited to see where the city goes in a couple of years, and I'm really happy to be a part of that. Um, But, yeah, I just want to make, like, oodles of cash and i want uh my new significant other partner one of them at least to have way more oodles of cash than i do um i want to see my kids grow up and be happy and um excited about their passions in life and making you know good livings with that and uh I just want to see the world. I want to travel around and and see different things and spend my money on stuff that rich people spend their money on.
0: (laughs) And when are you going to see your kids?
1: I will see them um, in a couple of months, and then they're going to come and spend the summer with me wherever I am. Uh, Summer's in, in Saigon, as most of you probably know are pretty dead here. There's not a whole lot going on in the summer. A lot of the teachers go away and go to their families and stuff. So a lot of us travel in the summertime. Um, So I think I'll probably take them to um, Sri Lanka. We really want to go to India. But uh, my son likes to put absolutely anything in his mouth, even at almost 10 years old. So I'm a bit scared about that. But I've heard Sri Lanka is like India light. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I think we might try that. Um but yeah, just travel a bit with them and let them uh maybe make some family friendly events on the other side and and just, you know, have fun with them.
0: Cool. Well, thank you very much, Angie. Um I'm glad we got to talk to you um behind this the off stage persona because um As we kind of talked about in this episode, I don't think many people realize that there is a difference.
1: Yeah, um, just anybody who's on stage, any celebrity or, you know, persona, um, we're all still people. We're multifaceted. We have our childhood traumas and our experiences and everything that make us who we are. And I think it's very easy to see somebody on stage and see them as a one-dimensional person. So I really appreciate the opportunity to express other facets of myself. And I hope that people listening will uh, realize that everyone is like that. Everybody's got a story to tell. And if you want to know more about me, you can follow me on Facebook or Instagram, or you can come and find me anywhere in Saigon. I am out and about all the time, almost every single day of the week. Um, come and say hi and have a chat, and I will try to remember your name. I promise.
0: And just don't touch your hair.
1: Do not touch my hair at all, or I might do some weird stuff to your shirt. <laughs> awesome!
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for listening, and um, I hope you can tune in for further episodes. And I hope you enjoy it. Cheers. Thanks for listening to part two of episode six with Angie the Diva. A massive thank you to Angie for being an amazing guest. Um, I'm sure you um, enjoyed that as much as I did. And if you haven't listened to part one already, go back and listen to it. If you haven't listened to previous episodes, go back and listen to them. You can get them on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere that you can get podcasts, you'll be able to find 7 Million Bikes, a Saigon podcast. So thank you very much for listening. I hope you can tune in for future episodes as well. If you want to send me a message, you can get me at 7millionbikes at gmail.com or go to the Facebook page, give me a like, give me a message, leave a review if you can, that would be super, super helpful as well. And it's always great to hear from people. So thank you for listening. Thank you, as always, to Lewis Wright for composing the theme music for 7 Million Bikes and also to Len Wynn for helping me design the cover art that you can see everywhere. So thanks again. Hope you enjoyed that. Hope you enjoy future episodes. Have a great day.